Hello and welcome to the DOE Digest, a podcast from the New Jersey Department of Education. I'm your host, Ken Bond. The DOE Digest is a platform for information exchange in which the department highlights the work being done by transformative educators around the state. This podcast is one of the ways that we utilize our digital platform to help strengthen teaching, leading, and learning, and increase educational equity for the 1.4 million students across New Jersey. Thank you for joining us. The week of release of this podcast episode is also Special Education Week in New Jersey. We are thrilled to be able to bring to you a conversation between educators and parents about what it means for parents and guardians to collaborate with educators around special education services. At the New Jersey Department of Education, we believe that parents and guardians are integral parts of students' education. The concepts we discussed in this episode are so inspirational, and I can't wait for you to hear them and think about how they apply to your classroom. Let's begin. Hi, my name's Kevin Sturgis. I'm affiliated with the ARC of New Jersey. I'm a volunteer member of the Board of Directors, and I'm a parent to uh, three kids. Uh, my middle child, Claire, is 18. She's in high school. She has a developmental disability, Down syndrome. And my oldest daughter, Kaylee, She's 20, and she is studying to be a special educator at TCNJ. My name is Jody Mahoney. I'm principal in South Brunswick, and I'm principal at an elementary school, and I'm co-chair of our team Dyslexia, and I am in Middlesex County. Hi, my name is Ginny Bryant. I'm the parent of a 16-year-old girl with Down syndrome. We are in Mercer County, and I'm pretty involved in the uh, special education, the parent advisory group, PTO and the Bog Center in New Brunswick. Very interested in policy affecting people with disabilities and education. Good afternoon, I'm Paul Barbato. I am Director of Special Services in Dumont, New Jersey and Bergen County. I'm also the Chair of the State Special Ed Advisory Council and President of the New Jersey Association of Pupil Services Administrators. My name is Casey Dudley. I am a project director at SPAN Advocacy. I oversee the Parents of Champions for Healthy Schools project. And although I do cover the entire state, I am out of Essex County. Could you explain what it means for school staff and parents or guardians to collaborate when it comes to special education and services students receive? This is Paul. When I think of what it means for school staff and parents to collaborate when it comes to special education. I think of a system where parents and school staff maintain consistent communication. I think of the case manager who has a keen awareness and familiarity of parental concerns and has an understanding of classroom and functional data from the personnel working directly with that student. Collaboration also includes connection with and involvement of the Special Education Parent Advisory Group or Council. Collaboration involves labor, making sure that all the professionals working with that student have a clear understanding of who the student is. So if that involves the parent, you know, completing some sort of inventory, I know SPAN provides an excellent resource with a positive profile that we use in our district, and the teachers are able to get parental feedback on strengths and challenges and areas to work on, and that provides the teacher a really clear understanding of, of what to work on in addition to what the IEP may already capture. It's not a one and done kind of meeting. 
that's annually done with the IEP. It's, it's an everyday kind of consistent communication. This is Jenny in terms of coordination and consistency. I'm always thinking of communication between parents and guardians and the school staff. I guess I always look at it from the perspective of a younger child or a child with verbal issues or a child with working memory issues. The partnership and collaboration between the home and the school is essential, obviously for things like behavioral modifications, right? Things we're trying to change that we're all kind of on the same page working together, but also in terms of topics discussed, that's really important that we have the same words and the same language and the same sort of rules about that at home. I also think that collaboration from home about what are things maybe happening at home that might affect what's happening at school. For my daughter, when my husband used to travel a lot on business, it was really predictable that she would be having sort of an off week. Her, you know, her home routine was disrupted. And so that essential sort of communication, collaboration, consistent um, team with the school and, and the home is just imperative. The other piece for me is about sharing resources and information. I've been to classes, I've been to seminars, I've been to trainings, I have books. I've learned a lot about how my student learns and things like I'm a valuable resource for the teach for the you know, school staff to tap into and then listen to sort of how that can get superimposed on the classroom, right? I'm not a teacher, but I do know a lot about my child and I know a lot of families now who have the same disability. So I'm just a valuable resource. And um, collaboration really means tapping into each other's skill sets to get the best possible outcome for a student. This is Casey W. Um, I just wanted to kind of piggyback on, you know, a few things that was that was just mentioned. One, the positive student profile, right? So, you know, we at Sam do have the document that we do encourage all districts as well as parents. In addition to students who are a part of that IEP process to make sure that that document is used and it's used effectively and it, it's meaningful within the IEP, right? Not just a document that is going to sit there and exist, but sit there and be used um, in a way that <clears throat> is going to support the needs of the child, their educational needs, their social needs, their emotional needs, right? Because there's so many different components of the IEP that are missed out on. And I think that parents sometimes, you know, get into some meetings and some of them, although it has gotten tremendously better, I have to say, uh, may not or may not be aware of what their, their rights are or may not be aware of you know, other avenues in the IEP that services can be supported. So I think that kind of document that when it's coming from the parents um, or the students, and I continuously say students because students should be a part of this process as well, you know, it's used effectively to um, show that there is a true collaboration and it's not just, um, you know, words on paper, but organically where it, it is really child-centered. Um, where they're getting the most out of the uh, collaboration for their IEP. And it should be adjusted on an annual basis as the reason why we have annual IEPs. Um, hi, it's Kevin. To me, collaboration means uh, open and honest communication between the school and the parents, and in many cases, the student. 
and the communication should be for the benefit and support of the student. That's the point. That's why we're collaborating. It's to support the student being able to achieve their goals. In my opinion, um, the collaboration must include high aspirations for the students and no predetermined outcomes. So in order for it to be collaboration, we can't enter the discussion already knowing what outcome we want. It's got to be open, honest, and for the benefit of the student. This is Jody. I just want to piggyback off of what Kevin just said, because for schools, it's important to remember that the law states that parents are partners, but that really means creating opportunities and processes that allow for those partnerships to be created and fostered. For example, at intervention meetings or IEP meetings, often the educators do all of the talking, but parents also have those perspectives. And I think that schools need to examine their intervention meeting protocols, their agendas, and see where there's space for parents to be collaborative and parents to voice concerns and voice what they're thinking about. Schools really need to look at those systems and procedures for how we're following out these collaborations or how we're creating these partnerships. So I, I was just wondering if we could dig in a little bit to the importance of collaborating with parents and guardians around special education. So we heard a lot about what, what that means, how you define it, in the last question, what it is, why is it important for that collaboration to happen? And we can start off with Casey. So it's important because number one, we want to make sure that we're showing a great example to the student what collaboration is. Um, I, my son is nine years old and he's always present at his IEP meetings. And number two, <clears throat> I think that it's also important that when we are sitting down and having this conversation and having this meeting, that, like I said prior to, the collaboration is meaningful. Like, we understand that this is a team effort. And that was, as it was previously said, the parents are an equal part of this process. This is Jody. I'll chime in on this one. Every child who comes to school is a superstar. Every one of them has strengths. Every parent is sending the best that they have to your school every single day. And it's our job to maybe, you know, to honor that. All, all parents want to know is that their kids are going to, their, their needs and their um, talents are going to be recognized and supported. And every educator needs to value and honor that and be knowledgeable, therefore, about learning differences, learning disabilities, physical disabilities. And if they're not knowledgeable about it, go ahead and be knowledgeable about it. So if you've never had a child with dyslexia in your classroom, you need to, you know, get do some research and find out about it so that the parents feel that you really are invested in what this child brings, both strength and obstacle-wise um, to the classroom. So, you know, it's really critical that parents feel that educators are invested in their child's particular situation, are knowledgeable about it, and can be proactive and responsive to it. Um, that really builds a layer of found a foundation for building trust, building open communication, and then hopefully building academic success and school success for this child, um, you know, no matter where they start and moving them from point A to point B and, and further on. So, um, you know, really understanding those pieces really helps to build that relationship between the educators and parents. This is Ginny. I'm thinking about a conversation I had with a teacher 
um, in my professional life. And he was sharing with me, not knowing anything of my background, that he um, had just had a school year where he was assigned a student who had a particular disability. But his conversation was that, boy, I found out this student was coming to my class and I was really scared. I didn't know how I was going to teach this kid. And, um, you know, he, he was all worried about that. And, and then he had this year and it turned out phenomenally great. And he was sort of just you know, regaling me with the story of, wow, I was so scared and professionally it was challenging, but boy, what a year. And in fact, got the uh, school to agree to having the kids kind of looped so he'd have that same student again next year. And it occurred to me for the first time that teachers might be scared right? I know I had a prenatal diagnosis with my daughter and we were scared to death. And um, his humanity in sharing that story with me as a teacher, like I am not, I'm a general education teacher. I am not prepared to teach that. And I was like, oh yeah, you know, as parents, I was too, right? I gave birth. I had no idea what I was doing, scared to death and um, no certification, right? No training, no experience, but I learned. Teachers, particularly good teachers, don't ever want to not be great at something, right? Um, but to say, you know, I have no idea and let's work this out together, right? Like parent, you're a great resource in general, but you're an expert in this kid. Let's partner. And this is Paul. Just want to add a little more language to that. The IEP, I always remember, is a legal document and it's of utmost importance to make sure that if you're a teacher new to working with a student with special needs, then to make sure that the IEP is understood thoroughly. And you know, in our district, we provide an overview of special education to our new hires, whether you're an instructional assistant, whether you're a custodian, whether you're a teacher. And at the beginning of the school year, we present key information from our special ed code to forecast what is expected. The student's case manager, can serve as the liaison to school personnel and the parents, so they're also a resource to reach out to. Uh, you know, the spirit of the question deals with collaboration. And when you think of collaboration, I think it's essential since there may be modifications or accommodations or assisted technology needs or supplementary aids and services that a staff member is either directly or indirectly involved with implementing. So it's absolutely critical to become super aware of the child's needs to provide a free and appropriate public education. So to, to add to what Paul said, on, on a more personal level for a general educator or a special educator, as far as collaborating with parents of child with special needs, I, I wouldn't overthink it. Just as you would to a parent of a, a student who's not classified, I wouldn't hesitate to reach out to the parents by phone or by email, by communication sheet, and do it early in the year. We found the most effective communication and collaboration we've had with the teachers is when we meet a few weeks into a new year. You know, we schedule a meeting and we just have a half hour discussion about our daughter, what she's good at, what her aspirations are what her challenges are, what are some techniques we've learned on our own or from other teaching staff in the past that work well. And in keeping that open dialogue, it could just be an email once a week, once a month, once a marking period. And we found that that's been our best collaboration is that informal communication with the teacher. And I don't think teachers should be afraid 
to reach out and have an informal discussion outside of the IEP meeting. That's a great point. Thank you, Kevin. Uh, thank you all. This is this is really great, and I think that this highlights really both the informal and the formal avenues that folks can take to to get to that place of collaboration between parents and guardians and, and the teachers in the classroom. I, I wanted to ask what lessons in, in your mind all teachers can learn from the collaboration between special education students and, and their families and educators. This is Jody. In terms of lesson learned, I always talk to my my families and my teachers about advocating for every child as if they're your own. And really, whether you have kids or you don't have kids, you know what what how you would want someone to advocate for somebody that you know and love. And that you know really speaks to this idea that just because some parents have the resources and maybe the know-how or have have asked friends, you know, how to navigate the system, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be as proactive and responsive to others who might not know those things to ask. And so it's really our job as educators to advocate, support every child who sits in front of us, thinking outside of the box, just because we don't have a program doesn't mean we shouldn't offer that program. We really need to think about what these kids need and work as educators, as an educational system to support what that student needs, whether we have it in place or we don't have it in place. It's our job to both be to be proactive about it. And that would be my, you know, my biggest sort of lessons learned and, and my hope for moving forward. This is Kevin. Jody, that comment that you made, um, advocate for every child as if they were your own, that's so nice to hear. And I, I think that's the right mindset. We have some fantastic teachers. We've had many very good teachers. And I remember every time when I noticed that a teacher was advocating for my child as if they were their own. I agree with you. I think that's what we should strive for. Um, we want teachers to be able to advocate for every child as if they were their own. Uh, and you're exactly right. Not everybody has the same level of knowledge and can approach the table with what the rights are for the child, with what the best practices are. So we really collectively have to advocate for the child, for the student. This is Paul. One lesson that I, I always emphasize with a teacher or administrator or a colleague or a parent is really what special education is defined as. When I refer to the Blue Book or the Special Ed Code, the definition of special education simply refers to a specially designed instruction. And it's not any definition of a location or a place. And so for me, one lesson to emphasize with a teacher or a parent or a colleague is that special education is not a location, but rather specialized instruction. So when we focus around that mindset, I think we, we just heard the word mindset around it being a service, then we're really focusing on what those what those needs are for that student. And you know, whether it's within the LRE, the least restrictive environment, and seeing what is appropriate for that student. So that's what I think of. And this is Casey. Um, I just have to say, I absolutely 100% agree and love that. Um, you know, the comment about special education being a service and not a place because that is the truth, right? And I think I think it's something that teachers, along with other school staff, we need to continuously remind them of that. So then they will look at all of our children on an individual basis and not overall that they're all in special education. They all receive individualized services for special education. 
Yeah, I just want to pick up on something Jody said. A great lesson to be learned would be just to think outside the box. Uh, as parents of children with learning differences, um, it's what we've learned to do, sort of everything is outside the box. And I think that's just a great lesson to think of uh, from an educator perspective. And it just takes it just takes thinking outside the box, right? Not this is this is the way we've always done it or this is the way it should be done or this is the linear way it goes. But what's another way to access or what's another way to present the content or to to get back the information um, from a student just thinking in different ways. I wanted to end today's discussion by asking you just about resources and just give a little bit of a description about why you think that those resources are important. This is Jenny. One of my favorite resources is um, understood.org. It's a great website that has a parent community and also a, a great series of educator resources. That's tends to be sort of my go-to first place for anything I'm looking for. It has a, has a just great resources, great presentation. And another website that I love is called educatingalllearners.org. And uh, also a lot of resources for parent and educator uh, collaboration there. So those are, those are sort of my go-tos. It's Kevin. It's a free resource. It's just study guides. You know, typically with study guides, uh, when our daughter was younger, they would come out shortly before the test and then we were supporting her filling out study guides at home, you know, one, two, three days before the test. I think providing the study guide further in advance, a week in advance, and allowing the student more time to familiarize himself with the material and get repetitions has been a great modification to help her secure the material. So for me, it's um, the use of uh, Quizlet and, and study guides in advance of an exam. This is Jody. I will second the idea about understood.org as a phenomenal resource and also add a learning ally, not only for audiobooks, but also just for resources and articles and information um, about supporting students. So learning ally would be another one of my favorite resources as well as understood.org. Oh, this is Paul. This site that we provided turnkey training on called PBIS Rewards. It's a great informational site that looks at how we provide positive behavioral reinforcement to students who are being educated virtually. So there's a virtual component and they provide matrices to consider on what to align expectations with uh, reinforcement examples. There's a parent engagement piece, which I love. Uh, so certainly one to take a look if you haven't seen it directly. This is Casey. I think definitely, I have to say, that the SPAN website is definitely a great resource for parents as long as, along with educators and students um, to use and to be aware of. We have a plethora of information, tools, toolboxes, resources, programs, and services that we support all across the state of New Jersey um, that will help you in the journey of within special education. And then I also would say for all parents, 
to ensure that they keep the parents' rights and special education handy at any time. It's an easy read. It has all of your rights as a parent um, within that document. Um, I always, I know it's always given at IEPs now, it's given electronically, but, you know, learn it, understand it, because you're going to use it for a very, very long time. Um, and it will definitely help you be a more efficient advocate for your child and understand, again, what your rights are as a parent. Thank you so much for listening, and please join us for the May 18th, 8.30 p.m. hashtag NJ Ed Partners Twitter chat. We'll be discussing this topic of special education and parent, guardian, and teacher collaboration, and hope that you are able to join us at that time. I'd like to thank our guests, the Office of Special Education in the New Jersey Department of Education, as well as Elizabeth Thomas, who transcribes these episodes so that they're accessible for all. We look forward to continuing to connect and engage with you about educating the 1.4 million students around the state and hope to talk to you on the hashtag NJEdPartners third Tuesday Twitter chat. You can subscribe to the podcast channel for DOE Digest through your iPhone, in the Apple Podcast app, or wherever else you listen to podcasts so that you can get new episodes when they are released. Also, please leave us a review through the Apple Podcast app on your iPhone. It is the best way to help new listeners find us. Neither the New Jersey Department of Education nor its officers, employees, or agents specifically endorse, recommend, or favor views expressed by those interviewed. Discussion of resources are not endorsements. Thanks so much for listening.